Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, and you're listening to the Better Off Podcast. On this week's episode of Better Off, we're talking financial literacy. It's author Beth Kobliner. She's written a great new book, Make Your Kid a Money Genius. Parents, aunts, uncles, grandparents, listen up. I find often upper middle income families are just either clueless or they haven't had the time or they're fearful. We know about the facts of life. We know we have to talk to kids about drugs and alcohol. We really do as kids age. There's no script for talking about money. I think it's important to have these conversations. All that and more on the latest episode of the Better Off Podcast. Welcome to the Better Off Podcast, sponsored by Betterment, the smarter way to invest your money. So I'm Jill Schlesinger, and wow, did we get super smart about last week's episode because we had taped an amazing interview with Jack Otter of Barons.com and Megan Lenhart of Money, and it was all about fiduciary. And boy, the fiduciary world was lighting up over the last 10 days or so. That's after President Trump signed an action that would review and potentially roll back not only the fiduciary rule, but potentially parts of the Dodd-Frank Reform Act. So, you know, it's going to take a while. There's a process in place. We'll have to see how things end up. But I think what's clear is that this topic of really understanding who your investment advisor is, who your salesperson is, how that person gets paid, you really have to take control of this stuff. And frankly, this is one of the things that we are absolutely stressing on the show. Whether or not there is a Department of Labor rule, whether or not the Securities and Exchange Commission starts to put into place some rules and regulations, isn't it better that you ask these questions? It's not unlike how you would hire any other professional. But we seem to have kind of forgotten about it when it comes to our financial world. So I think whether you are a seasoned long-term investor or you're someone just starting off, maybe you just got a bunch of money, maybe you got a big raise, maybe you're starting a new job. This is the quintessential issue as you start the process of or you continue the process of dealing with a financial professional is to better understand the terms of your relationship, the nature of your relationship. Just ask some questions. I know it kind of feels weird sometimes, but you can do it, okay? That's what this whole show is about. Better Off is here to help you reach your personal financial goals. Sometimes it's going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. Sometimes we're going to take a controversial view. But you know what? Hey, we are in the jargon-free zone. We're going to get at the heart of what's important for you to know. No financial ease. No mumbo-jumbo. And in addition to the call that we have at the end of every one of our shows, we're doing something new. We're launching the Better Off bonus call of the week. This is Mark's brainchild. Mark is the greatest producer in the world. And he says, I'm getting inundated with requests. We've got to actually get more people on the air. So if you would like to be a caller here and learn about how you can make your financial life a little bit better, how you can take control Send us an email, askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. And don't worry, just subscribe to the podcast. And in your stream on Tuesdays, you are going to hear the Better Off bonus call of the week. Before we hear today's question, we have a great guest, Beth Kobliner. She's written a book, Make Your Kid a Money Genius. And who doesn't want that? Here's Beth. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. 
It's time for the interview portion of the Better Off podcast. We're with Beth Kobliner. She is a personal finance. It says here on the back of your book, commentator. I'm not into that. I don't want commentator. I want uh, personal finance guru. Guru. I like guru. Zarina or something like that. Um, She's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Get a Financial Life, former staff writer at Money Magazine. She's contributed all over the place, including the Oprah Winfrey Show. Yes. Three times. Three times. Stop it. Yeah. How cool was that? It was the best. Ever. It's sort of the same as Better Off. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) Beth and I met in a very strange way. Very strange way. Because we were we went to the same college mm-hmm. and it was a some sort of alumni gathering, gathering breakfast, breakfast. Of, fundraiser of, slash. Yeah. yeah, and we fell in love. Essentially. I was like, Where have you been? Ex- actually all my friends who I was friends with fell in love with you. And and, and they I ask would, about you to this day. I love that. <laughs> and I haven't gone to that breakfast in a long time. I Did it stop? I don't know. Maybe we're just not getting invited. Oh, you get invited, gosh. though. No, I don't sure know about that. Anyway, we always like to start our interviews with the same question. What's the best money decision you've made? I think starting in IRAs and the four, it, you know, Time Inc., that was back in the day. There weren't <clears throat> default options. You weren't automatically put into the 401k. So starting in that early, because not only did I allow my money to grow tax deferred for many, many years, but also I started learning and thinking about investing. What are my choices? You know, I'm 24. Do I want to risk some or do I want to put it all in, you know, a super safe place? How much? I remember the big issue was, should you put your own company stock into a 401k? And that lesson got hammered home because you really have to be careful if the company's matching with company stock, you have to be aware. So the diversification piece really became true to me once I started on my own. Beth has just written a fantastic book called Make Your Kid a Money Genius. And what I love about this book is that it is real advice for people helping their kids to learn about money. Exactly. And what's fascinating to me is that uh, so many people who have money, right, right, who have really done pretty well in their lives, can't communicate with their kids. Why do you think that is? I think that... If you're in the financial world or you're in a job that is overwhelming and taking all of your time, like most of us are, you're too busy. Or you feel like, you know what, I know corporate finance, but when it comes to where to put my savings, where do I open an IRA, ah, I give it to my broker, I don't even know. So I think it's really important for parents of all income levels, but I find often upper middle income families are just either clueless or they haven't had the time or they're fearful. You know, often people are fearful just talking about, hmm, something I'm not sure I know. We know we know about the facts of life. We know we have to talk to kids about drugs and alcohol. We really do as kids age. But there's no script for talking about money. And I really wanted to write something that went through ages, whether you're age three, whether you're in middle school, whether you're in high school or beyond when your kid's graduating and live, sitting on your couch or sleeping on your couch back home. I think it's important to have these conversations. This book, obviously, to me, not Mm -hmm. to everyone who is listening, is born out of your experience in the uh, working with the Obama administration to create this website. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I was on this council, and sometimes councils sort of think big thoughts but don't move things along. And I wanted to do something to speak to parents and do the research to figure out what are the three or four things you need to teach parents to teach their kids 
when kids are very, very young, we know we all the research on delayed gratification. Is it possible to teach it? And what can you do to do that? And how does that key into saving? When you're a little kid and you want something, it's very powerful if you say you save up every week, every you know few days for that thing you want. And two months from now, you'll be able to get it. That is extremely powerful. And all those lessons came out in this a uh, website called Money As You Grow, which a million and a half people came to, which was crazy. I was I must shocked. have come a million times yeah. myself. Oh, I love that. You. I used it all the time. I, and I want to tell you why I used it, because I'm often asked this question about right. how do I talk to my kids about money? I've done television segments. We referenced it. We've had like beautiful slides of the whole thing. Thank you. And here's the beautiful thing about it. In my mind is that Beth actually created it, because I remember the first <laughs> time you came on, I'm like, how did you, who did you do this for you? Because I did it. I did it. You did the whole and thing. You know, I know. As a journalist, you sort of go in there and say, this is what we need to do. And everybody signed on, including the president, and thought it was a, a great, you know, start. And I remember he said, you know, people are hungry for this information, and we know that. And I think uh, there are so many small things people can do that just gets their kids on the right track, even if you don't understand finance, because my book is Make Your Kid a Money Genius, even if you're not. I like the idea where you say start earlier than you think you should. Yeah. Well, research shows by age three, a kid understands basic financial concepts like exchange or value. And uh, I don't know if you remember, a couple of years ago, I did something with Sesame Street and I got to teach Elmo about money. Well, that was really a fun experience and really what I learned and all their researchers there were saying that this notion of starting early and getting to kids when they're still impressionable and can understand this is huge. We know so much about brain plasticity and how when kids are young, starting to talk about delaying gratification. And the other frightening study came out from Cambridge University in England that by age seven, kids are really locked into most of their financial traits, that executive function they talk about. So you've really got to start this at three, four, five, six to start kids thinking in the right way. The other part of this, which I learned only with TV, right. I'm gonna. this is one of the few things I've learned working in TV, uh-huh. use anecdotes. Oh my goodness. It, it, it comes alive. My mom taught me that, right? But now the research shows that if you give a specific story, and you know, I always talk about when my dad came home in the 60s, he was a teacher, and he said to my mom, uh, they had three kids and a mortgage, she said, we have to put half of my salary into the new 403B plan the city just started. And my mom said, we can't afford to, Harold. We have three kids. And my dad said, we can't afford not to. Mm-hmm. And that's how they started saving and saving and saving over 65 years of marriage and have had a very successful financial life and imparted it to their three children. Just those small lessons and those memories and those stories you remember can really make a difference. So talking to your kid about the time, oh, well, you know, I got into credit card debt, but I'm going to help you not do that. Okay. Tell me about allowance because... I think that we talk a lot about money with our kids, and this is a way to do it. What is your opinion about the allowance issue? Well, it's interesting because there's so much written about allowance. And finally, I said, just being the kind of nerdy researcher I am, looked at all the research. There were dozens of studies, some you know, done in England and Canada and all over the world, actually. And the bottom line with allowances, it doesn't really matter. The most important thing is to be consistent. That's all that matters. As a parent, if you say, look, we're not going to buy this until you save up enough money, and then you come, you know, a few weeks later, you're like, oh, my poor kid, I want to get it for him. That's a mistake. So 
you know, the book is great and it sort of brings you through age, you know, age appropriate conversations, right. different ways to start conversations. There are some things that you have early on here um, about things you don't need to tell your kids about money. And so this is very funny to me because remember, my dad was a trader on Wall Street, right? Right. right. So what happened was he he did talk about like mm-hmm. money that he made or didn't make mm. because that was what his day was. Right, so right. daddy came home from work. My mother would say, how'd we do? Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I understand. Okay. But what about salary? Should you tell your kids about your salary or no. not? No. No. It's silly. I mean, honestly, I'm sure your dad didn't come home and say, hey, we made $100,000 today. Or, oh, we lost $2 million, you know. First of all, it's not appropriate for children for a variety of reasons. Kids get worried. Kids get nervous. Does that mean, you know, no context. I, I have to say, I've gone around the country talking about this issue for literally 30 years. And my son, when he was five years old, he got all worried about not having health insurance because I would talk about health insurance. I'm like, don't worry, honey. You know, kids take things out of context. So use judgment. You don't have to put all your money out there. You can talk about what's the median income in our country. And you know what? We're doing really well. We work really hard and we're very lucky. But no need for numbers now because, you know, frankly, you're going to hear it at parent-teacher conferences when you show up and they're like, oh, how's your hedge fund doing? You know, you just, Mm. you don't need to get into that depth with a seven-year-old. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about maybe teenagers Mm -hmm. because there's the other thing you say you shouldn't share with your child is how much you worry about paying for college. Because obviously a lot of people here listening are saving for retirement. They're making good livings. Life is good. Right. And maybe they are a little bit nervous about paying for college. Maybe they make too much money to get a, a get mm-hmm. get any sort of aid. Yeah. And so there is that sense like, oh, my God, you know, we make a few hundred thousand dollars a year, which is an awesome living right. and we're really doing right. well. But I don't know if I can pay for college. How am I right. going to do that? And which college? And could it be my dream college or my college I went to? It's so overwhelming for people. And I think that the most important thing is for a parent to get knowledge. Start in ninth grade. Just I have a whole chapter in Make Your Kid a Money Genius about college, how to see how much financial aid you possibly could get, how what are things to think about, to think about your finances now. If you put all your money in your kid's name, you're going to get less aid, That those kind of issues. But overall, starting in ninth grade saying, you know what, we know we're going to be in a, this and as a team, we're going to get you to a good college. As a parent, it's your responsibility. Do your research now. Just look at the forms. See what you're going to be asked. It's not fun. Let's put it this I mean, no one finds filling out the financial aid form fun, but it could be fruitful for parents of many broad age ranges, especially if you have a couple of kids. But thinking about that now takes the elephant out of the room. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. We'll get back to our interview with Beth Kobliner, author of Make Your Kid a Money Genius in a Second. But here's something kind of funny to consider. No matter how old you are, when you're making your first investment decision, don't you ask your parents? So many people do. And when you think about that, how should I manage my money? You wouldn't believe that every single one of us has gone through this, right? And and we wonder, how are we going to retire on time? Or I don't even want to know about retirement. Or I'm too young to think about retirement. And then you really start to consider, like, what do I want the rest of my life to look like? It's so daunting. And there are so many unknowns, and that may prompt you to think, oh, I'm just not going to do anything. Don't do that. Our sponsor, Betterment, believes that they are the answer to some of those unknown questions. Betterment has technology that helps you plan for the future and manage your investments intelligently. 
They also pay special attention to keeping your fees low and minimizing taxes, two pretty important parts of the process. Betterment checks all the boxes. Globally diversified portfolio, automatic rebalancing. I love the rebalancing feature. Tax efficiency, award-winning customer service. Also a fiduciary. You know, we've been talking about the fiduciary standard on the show. And here's something new from Betterment for those who have more complex financial issues or maybe they just want someone to talk to. Hey, a human being, that's pretty awesome. Betterment offers two additional service plans that give you access to a team of CFP professionals and licensed financial experts. You don't have to go it alone anymore. Sign up through our podcast link and you can get one month managed free. Visit Betterment.com slash better off for the offer and more information. And now, back to our interview with Beth Kobliner. One of the things that's happened in the last, especially since the financial crisis, right. is this concept of the boomerang kid. Mm. In um, and, and I noticed this, like, I don't have kids, everyone, so I'm just coming you know, clean here. So I noticed this with Do my sister. Them? No, you, you got, you, yours are good. We have <laughs> right. a lot of nieces and nephews, mm. and you see that those kids stay on the parents' payroll for a lot longer. And pe- right. kids, especially in sort of upper middle class Absolutely. households, because... The parents can. You know, it used to be, I think, in our day, I'm not going to move back home. Exactly. There was a shame factor. Yeah, there was a shame. Who would do? I did move back home because I had $10,000 in student loans. So I lived at home for my mom. First, my mom was said when I called her, I'm like, I'm going to move out. She's like, no, you're not. And then she called back. Okay, you can move out. Do you have money to move out? And I'm like, oh, I don't have money. So now these kids are coming home or they're living in the city where they're get they do have a good job, but right. the job isn't enough to really, to really support them. That, exactly. What is the conversation you have with your kids around that period of time? It's funny. A very, very, very wealthy man whose name I won't mention called me the other day and said, "Beth, what would you do if I have two kids out of college, two in college? What should I do with them about money?" And I'm like, "Whoa!" <laughs> and I basically said that. Be realistic. If you have enough money that you want to give out some sort of monthly allowance to your kid, I'm not opposed to it. Give them a number and say, you know what? This amount, if you could afford it again, you're not obligated to this amount, but this amount is what you need to do all your spending with. Mm -hmm. This is your money. And it is amazing how that lesson teaches kids to scrimp, save. Well, maybe I won't go out to dinner with these friends. Maybe I'll just have coffee with that friend. You know, that's the basic. Now, if you don't have gobs and gobs of money, then I think it is perfectly fine to have a conversation with your kid. And at that point, you don't want to tell them, you don't even need to tell them your exact income, but you could. And you can say, look, we still have the same home. We still have, you know, we're worried about, of course, long-term medical expenses. And we've designed our finances so that we will hopefully be able to take care of ourselves so we're not a burden to you. Hmm. But your job now as a college-educated, super smart kid is to figure this out. And again, if there's a amount, you can give them regularly, do it. But this sort of one-off here, one-off here, it creates so much tension and stress and pressure. I think, again, from age 3 to 23, it's the consistency and talking about it openly, but not crazily. And let's face it, you do not owe your kids a living. Remember that expression? Yep. You, don't, you owe me a living? You really don't. Right. That's their responsibility and talk to your kids to make sure they understand. You wouldn't throw a kid into a car without making sure they had driving lessons. It's important to give these lessons to children. If 
you are somebody who is, you know, mid-career and you haven't had a conversation. You missed the right. first few years. So let's just say that, you know, I'm, I'm 38 years old uh-huh. and, you know, you're, you are married and you got a couple kids and they're in middle school. Right. And you really, can you go back in other words, what happens if you had, like, right. they're listening to us, Beth, right. and someone's saying, like, darn it, where was Beth when I needed her 10 right. years ago? Now my kid's 13, 14, 15, what should I do? Right. You can always address this at different points. And I think that's probably the most important takeaway from this book is, and that's why I really divided it easily into chunks, that if you have a middle schooler and you're flashing the credit card and your kid very likely thinks that a credit card is a better way of paying for something than cash. I hear more and more stories of parents saying, my kid said, don't pay for that, just use your card. Like they don't understand that a card or buying something online is actually paying money. If you have that kid, that's the conversation to have. And you wouldn't talk to, you know, a middle schooler and say, ooh, let's save your pennies for that, you know, Lego kit you want. But then you start talking about, okay, let's think about what your major expenses are. And we're going to start talking about this. And we're going to open a bank savings account. And you have a super ambitious kid, I say by 16, and your kid is working and has some income, put it into a Roth IRA. I think at any age, a parent can empower a child. Our parents can... Tell us when to right. Tell us when to wrong. There are different stages and different ways, whether your kid is typing in your credit card or you're absentmindedly giving them your number. They're typing it in and just ordered $400 worth of toys and you didn't realize it. Or your child is 17, 18, 19, and they get a credit card and suddenly they get a credit score that's problematic. Talking to your kid about what this credit score is your reputation for many, many, many years. Or you're getting student loans, get federal Stafford loans if you qualify, or the unsubsidized Staffords. Don't get the private student loans. All those conversations are so important. And I think there are teachable moments no matter what age your kid is. And the reason I say money genius, honestly, it's the basic stuff people know. The magic of compounding, how to put your money in in a tax-free basis to something like a Roth IRA, how to avoid high-rate credit card debt, because if you're paying a 16% rate, that's the equivalent of earning 16% on your money guaranteed after taxes. That's a good investment. So pay off that high-rate debt. All those you know, important lessons, but it's sort of given throughout the book in age-appropriate ways. All right, we're going to um, conclude the interview with one of my favorite questions. Okay. We have already said, established, well-established mm. that Beth Kobliner, you are a personal finance guru. You are the Zarina. Okay. <laughs> um, what is the worst money mistake you have made? Okay. I think about this sometimes, especially now that I approach my fifth decade of life, if you will. And I remember my first job, my second job. I worked for Sylvia Porter, the, the, the financial writer. My second job was working for Money Magazine. And I was hired by Landon Jones. And he, he called me and said, okay, we want to offer you $30,000, which was a lot of that money. That was good money. That was good money because it was Time Inc. And, you know, it was the 80s. And I said, great. You know, and I was starting as a staff writer, which was unusual. I was 23. And then they, he called back, you know, 15 minutes later because he's such a lovely guy. And he said, you know, I don't think I'm paying you enough. And I said, that's fine. I'm so happy to have the job. It's great. Don't worry. He's like, okay, bye. And I think back to that mistake and how, hopefully, I'm a different person now than I was then. But that sort of, no, I'm good. Thanks. Enough money. 
I mean, it's it's sort of ridiculous. And it's the girl thing. It's the I'm grateful beyond belief. Thank you thing. And and learning that and being a grown up now and having a 21 year old daughter and talking to her about it, as well as my 18 year old son and my 13 year old son. It is a lesson that I have never made again. Beth Kobliner, author of Make Your Kid a Money Genius, Even If You're Not. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for joining us here. Thank you, Jill. So much fun with you. Always great. And uh, Beth's book is really fantastic. Regardless of your comfort level with your own money, whether you got tons of money, not so much money, you want to start having these conversations as early as age three. That's right. And let me just say, you say three to 23? Yeah. They don't stop because, you know, it's going to be beyond that. Yeah. So, uh, Beth, thank you so much for joining us. The book's great. Thank you. And I'm so so happy for you. I'm psyched. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Great to see you. You're listening to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger. It's time for the Better Off Question of the Week. If you have a financial question, just email us. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you want to tweet a question to us at Jill on Money, hashtag better off. So right now on the line, we've got Marilyn. Hi, Marilyn. You're calling from New York, I hear. Yes, I am. How are you? Oh, excellent. I finally have a New Yorker on the phone, so my accent sounds exactly the same as yours. So we're, we're in it together. Okay. What's going on? How can I help you? Great. I am having difficulty trying to figure out a good, reputable financial planner to meet with that doesn't seem to be selling a product. Mm, That's a tough one. Tell me a little bit about yourself and and what you're looking for specifically. Okay. Um, I'm 64. My husband's 66. And the plan is to work for two more years. Um, And we have money all over the place from this this, uh, 401k and other, you know, all over. Mm Mm-hmm. And we have some mutual funds. And I just want to make sure that it's all allocated correctly. Mm-hmm. But I feel like when I speak to someone who sells their own product, they're biased. Mm. So I don't mind paying for a review of all our assets, but I want to know the right direction to go in. Do you think you want one time, like, take a look at my retirement yes. assets, and but you want to manage the money yourself? In other words, do you feel like, you're happy to manage the money yourself, but you need a reality check? Correct. Okay. That's really... That, so first of all, thank you for airing this because I think there are tons and tons of people just like you. And the problem is, as you say, you meet somebody out there who says, oh, of course, I'm happy to give you a review of your retirement plan, Marilyn. And then all of a sudden, you're looking at a variable annuity product that you don't need. So, um, and I'm sure you've heard that pitch before. So I'm not sure if we're in the right things, the wrong things. Mm -hmm. We have hopefully two more years to work, and we can hopefully save a little more. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we have... A, a considerable amount put away, but I just want to make sure that we are doing this all correctly. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that makes perfect sense. Now, have you heard this weirdo legal term called fiduciary? Yes. Okay. So I'm just going to say for everybody, I'm going to just drop this F-bomb on this show week after week because we're going to talk about fiduciary because this is kind of what Marilyn's saying. Like, I want to know that when I talk to an advisor or anyone in the financial services industry, that that person's putting my interest first, not the sale of a product. And so if you say to somebody, you start by saying, are you a fiduciary? That's a good place to start. Now, there are a lot of folks 
who are fiduciaries. They don't have they're so a CFP, a certified financial planner, is a fiduciary. Okay, but that okay. but that may does not mean that that person is precluded from selling you product. I'm just telling you that they are fiduciaries. Then there is also uh, a CFA. Those are like the analytical types. Uh, there are plenty of people who um, are have have a designation that's called a. Uh, uh, they're CPAs, but they're also personal financial specialists. So it's a CPA-PFS. Those are kind of interesting folks. Um, and and at the end of the day, what I think you are looking for is something called a fee-only financial planner. And okay. what does this person do? This person does exactly what you say. You say, give me the price. Let me just know what this cost is for this one-time uh, endeavor this the draw up a plan look at my asset allocation give me my marching orders and let me manage the money myself that type of person that fee only planner you can find through a website napfa n a p f a dot org the national n a n a p f a dot org okay okay now here's the deal they're not so easy to find, but you're in New York. You're lucky because there are more in New York. Um, NAPFA advisors do not take commissions at all, and they are fiduciaries, and they tend to do things like hourly planning, or they'll do a project. Like I don't know how much money you have, but let's just um, you know, if you have a million bucks, they might say to you, "Here, we're going to do a full blown, crazy analysis of everything. It's five grand." But that's okay. how, so. The, but you know, if you've got a lot of money and it's a one-time fee, and you know it's unbiased, and they're not going to try to sell you anything, right? It could be well worth your time, right? So if you go to napfa.org and you say, "Find where, where's a fee-only advisor near me," that will shoot out some ideas for you. And okay. and and you know what? I think that what's really helpful for you is that you know what you want. So be clear. I, think I know what I want. <laughs> well, look, here's a good thing. Let's say you go through the process, okay? And then you decide two, three, five years from now, you say, I don't want to manage the money myself anymore. You have a relationship with somebody. You can go right. back and say, okay. either you can manage the money or someone else can manage the money. So it's a great idea. It is a, I think the more and more people are going to start using this kind of service. And again, if you have enough money, it can make sense to pay a big chunk for that kind of service. Yeah, I think, you know, it's something that we need to do. And I think you're being really smart. So um, napfa.org and okay. uh, tell me how you do. Shoot me an email. Let me know I will. how it goes. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks so much for calling, Marilyn. Okay. Thanks again to author Beth Kolbliner for joining us on Better Off. And thank you for all those great questions. Don't forget, there's a new episode of the Better Off podcast every Thursday. You can subscribe via iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Jill on Money. That's at Jill on Money. Just use the hashtag Better Off. You can also reach me via email. Ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com. That's askjill at betteroffpodcast.com. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a review or a rating in iTunes. It really will help us out. Better Off is sponsored by Betterment. Our music is composed by Joel Goodman. Mark Delercio produces. I'm Jill Schlesinger. See you next week. <laughs>